0: If you would turn with me to John chapter 13. My thanks to, to Neil for covering the pulpit last week. John chapter 13, we're going to start reading at verse 1 and read through to verse 20. Let's give attention to uh, the reading of God's Word. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you, it's plural you, y'all, are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, the one who sent me. Let's pray. Our gracious God, would you please come and would you bless the reading and the hearing and now the preaching of your word so that it will be effective. Lord, if you don't do this, If you don't bless the word that goes out, then it accomplishes nothing. And so, God, I pray that you would be at work through this sermon. A, that it would be true, uh, that it would be faithful to the written word. And, Lord, that it would be effective, that it would burrow down, tunnel down deep into our hearts and change us and make us... The people uh, you call us to be—people uh, who love and believe and cling to Jesus—in whose name we ask it. Amen. What would you do on your last night if you if you knew that your uh, that you were in your final hours, that your death was imminent, and you knew exactly when you were going to go? How would you spend that time? Would, uh, would it be like that cheesy Tim McGraw song, Live Like You Were Dying? It is cheesy. You can't argue with that. Okay? It's like the height of cheesy country. He says, um, he goes skydiving, rocky mountain climbing, 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. There's actually some more meaningful stuff in the song too. But uh, that's, that's kind of the spirit of the age, right? If we knew that we were dying... Um, Odds are, the first thing you went to maybe was some kind of experience, your bucket list. What have I not done yet? What has been left unaccomplished? Uh, What is the bucket list? Uh, Well, let's see what Jesus does, because his hour has come, and he knows better than any of us will ever know that it's time for him to leave. God the Father has sent him into the world, and it's almost time for him to depart and go back. So what does Jesus do with his last night? John says he loves his own to the end. And so there's really three different things I want us to take a look at here. First, we need to know the Lord who loves his own. Uh, Second, we need to see the God who washes feet And then finally, we need to be the kind of people who stoop to serve. Uh, And so, as Jesus approaches his last night, John says this in verse 1, that Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew that it was time for him to leave. And it says that what he did, he loved his own to the end. Now, this, this verse is a turning point in John's story. Uh, what Neil preached last week was the end of Jesus' public ministry. That's, that's over. For three years, Jesus has been teaching, uh, preaching, and doing miraculous signs, all pointing to himself as the Messiah, as the one who had come to keep God's promises and to save God's people. And the response, as you heard last week, if you were here, was that the people, by and large, rejected Jesus. They did not really hear what he was saying, and they did not really believe him, they didn't trust in him, and so they were, as John says, unable to believe, and so, and so that ministry is closed, that curtain has closed, the public ministry is over, and now Jesus turns his attention, he focuses on his own, on this group of disciples gathered around him, on this group of people who, on whom he is going to build his new community on whom he's going to build his church. He focuses on them, and he loves them. And so what you're going to hear is, if you're with us over the next few weeks, what you're going to hear is a lot of instruction about what this, this new community, about what disciples are to believe, what they're to do. And it really begins here. Jesus says he, or John says that Jesus loved them to the end, the end. Uh, That word can either mean time, so Jesus loved them to the end of his life on earth, uh, or it can mean intensity. Jesus loved them to the fullness, right? Jesus loved them deeply with every fiber of his being. And John probably means both. Jesus loved his people deeply until his last ragged breath on the cross when he says, it is Ended. It is finished. It's that same word. So Jesus loves to the finish. Um, We put a lot of stock in someone's last words, right? When maybe a family member or a friend is dying, uh, we want to be there for the last things that they say, assuming they still have their their mind or they still are conscious. What were his last words? And so... um, so it is here there's a lot of Jesus what John is doing is he's letting Jesus in. Excuse me. What John is doing is he's letting us in to what Jesus is feeling. He's he's opening up Jesus' heart to us. What is it that's behind his last words? Why does he do what he do? Why does he do what he does? And the answer is love. All that is about to motivate Jesus, everything he says, everything he is going to do including and especially the cross. Is motivated by Jesus' love for his own. What do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that Jesus is the kind of Lord who loves his own? Well, what we ought to do is try to understand the loving heart of Jesus. We need to, we need to really embrace that love. We need to embrace the fact that Jesus is not careless and Jesus is not callous. Jesus does not pursue His mission at the expense of all of these people gathered around Him. He doesn't look at His disciples and say, Alright guys, listen, I tried to tell you this is going to be rough, but if you really want to hang in there, I mean, it's going to hurt. It's going to feel bad. He's, he's not, he's, he doesn't treat them like cogs in a wheel. They're not simply pawns to be moved about the board and discarded. What Jesus does is he loves them. What Jesus when Jesus pursues his mission, he pursues it not not in spite of the people he gathers around himself, but because of the people he gathers around himself. Jesus is not callous. We are not pawns. We are not cogs in a wheel. Jesus loves his own. And by love we mean self-sacrificing agape love. What does Jesus do with his love. Uh, John tells us, as soon as, uh, as soon as he says that, during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot uh, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. So what, is, what does Jesus do? Jesus loves his own. If we believe that, we trust in that. Jesus loves his own to the end. What does that love look like, right? What, what would you do with your last night on earth? What Jesus does is he washes feet, right? And so we, I want you to see the God, God who washes feet. That's what, that's what John wants to hammer home to you, the fact that Jesus is very aware of what's going on. He's very aware that it's time for him to go. He's very aware of the plan. He's very aware of what Judas is doing. He's very aware that his enemy, he knows that his enemy is at work in Judas to take him to the cross. Not only does he know, not only is he aware, but he is in complete control. Right? Jesus Jesus has the wheel. John says that God has put everything into Jesus' hands. Jesus is completely in control of the situation. Now, what would you do if you had that knowledge and that power? If you knew what Judas was thinking and everything was in control, what would you do to your enemy? Blast him from the room? Strike him down with lightning? Maybe you would just automatically punish. Maybe you just snap your finger and he's dead. Or you'd automatically punish all of the enemies right there, right then. Just bring it all to an end. That's certainly within Jesus' capability. What does Jesus do with the knowledge and with the power? Well, he gets up from supper and he starts undressing himself and he grabs the servant's towel. See, where these, these people would have been eating, where these men were eating, the, really the table was on the floor. Uh, and they were reclining at table, as it was called. And that means they were resting on one arm and they, were, they would have been eating with the other. And so they're angled away from the table with their feet facing backwards. And, and when you did that, uh, somebody, it was the job of a servant, of usually a menial servant. Somebody, this was not, this was not a job for just any servant. It was the lowest of the low. Um, because see, people in that day, they well, they had nasty feet. Because they walked around in sandals. And so, if you were going to go to a meal, and uh, you would you would walk, of course, on a dirt road, and you would walk where um, you would you would walk where animals had gone to the bathroom, right? And so, you would show up at somebody's house, and the sandals would have to be removed there at the door. And then it was the job of the lowest of the low, right? If you were if you had entered into service, this is not the job you would want. And if you were given that job, you would hope to work your way out of it very soon, right? Because as the people reclined at table, this servant, this slave, would have to go around to each pair of feet and they would have to wash them. Right? They would have to they would have to lather them up in the water and get all of the dirt and the dust and the excrement off of the feet and then and then take this towel wrapped around their waist and and pat them dry so that the so that the guests could have clean feet. What does Jesus do with all of the knowledge and the power that he has? He gets up from dinner and he undresses himself and he goes and he grabs the servant's towel and he wraps it around his waist and then he takes a knee and a bowl of water and he goes around to each one of his disciples and he begins washing their feet. I want you to, I want you to grasp the full picture of this. That the, that the God who made bones and the God who made blood and blood vessels and sinews and muscle and flesh, the God who made feet is the one who now walks around, goes around the table and washes those feet. The Lord of creation is on His knees washing, washing the poop off of His servants' feet. That's what Jesus is doing. So you can understand Peter's objection. I mean, they were probably all in shock. Even though they didn't fully grasp exactly who Jesus was, they knew that he was superior to them. They knew that really one of them should have been washing feet. But here the Lord is washing their feet. Their master, their teacher, he's the one on his knees, naked in a towel, washing their feet and so Peter objects. He says, Lord, you would wash my feet? How can this be? A superior never washes the feet of an inferior. And Jesus says, you don't understand this now, but you'll understand it later. And not just in a few minutes later. Not just, hey, give me a second to finish what I'm doing and I'll explain this whole thing to you. He doesn't, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, you won't understand this until after I'm dead and risen again and returned to heaven and the Holy Spirit has come. Then, that's when you'll really begin to grasp it. And so what does Peter do, the brash, proud Peter? He says, you'll never wash my feet. After all, Jesus said, you don't understand it now, but I'll explain it to you later. Peter's like, well, what explanation could possibly be good enough for you to stoop so low? Nope, not going to happen. You're not going to wash my feet. Can't do it. And so Jesus uses Peter's brashness to go from the physical act of foot washing to the spiritual reality behind it. And what he tells Peter is, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. What he means is, you have no share in my inheritance. That's how that word is used. Jesus is saying, you can't be a part of my kingdom unless I clean you up, unless I wash you, cleanse you. And so Peter uh, then reacts all the way the other way, uh, because Peter was never one to do things uh, slowly. He just swang from, from one end of the pendulum to the other. So he says, oh, okay, well then wash all of me. So we'll talk about that in a second, because some of us are a little bit like Peter. There's no middle road; it's either all the way here or all the way here. But what is Jesus saying when he says, "If I don't wash you, you have no part with me"? Uh, he's not talking about a bath. Uh, what Jesus is doing—this, this—I mean, what Jesus is doing is very humiliating, and especially for someone like Jesus, for Jesus to stoop this low is very humiliating but it's not as humiliating as it's going to get. Jesus is really just opening the door. Jesus really is going to go much, much lower. He's going to be far more humiliated than he is right now. Jesus, the Lord of... It's not just that the Lord of creation is washing a creature's feet, but the Lord of life is actually going to give up his life. He's going to submit himself to death. And so, the foot washing points to the cross. Right? The cross is in the shadows behind the foot washing. What Jesus is saying is, unless I cleanse you, unless I wash you in my blood, which is what's going to happen at Calvary, unless you go there, unless you trust me, you can have no part of me. You cannot belong to the kingdom. And so... To have a part or share in Jesus means that you have to believe in what Jesus has done. It's not enough to have happy thoughts about Jesus. It's not enough to really appreciate some of his social teachings. You actually have right? I mean, Judas is in the room. Judas is getting the foot washing too. But Judas is not clean. Judas, Judas has no share. In Jesus, because he doesn't actually believe in what in who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do, uh, and so that's what Jesus is saying. When Jesus says, "Unless I wash you, you can have no part of me," he's going beyond a physical foot washing now to the spiritual reality behind it, and is saying to Peter, "I have to clean you." Uh, maybe you remember the scene from um, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, C.S. Lewis's novel. Uh, there's a particularly nasty boy named Eustace Scrub uh, who's a character in that story. Uh, he's not someone you want to spend a lot of time with. And the bad news in, in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader is they're on a boat, which means you can't go anywhere. So now you're stuck on a boat with Eustace Scrub. His name is Eustace Scrub. Okay? So he's, not, he's, a, he's a selfish, proud little boy who wants nothing to do with other people. And he stumbles upon this cavern of, of jewels, uh, of treasure. And he begins... And, and he finds in that treasure this golden armband and he falls in love with it. It, it draws him in and he puts it on. Uh, and then he falls asleep. And he wakes up the next day to realize that he has been transformed into a dragon. He's no longer a boy. And not only has he been transformed into a dragon, but nobody knows that it's him. And so they don't want anything to do with him. They're, they're afraid of him because you should be afraid of dragons. Right? And so... Um, Eustace struggles and fights, and the, the, the golden armband, which fit him so well before, now is now is too tight, and it hurts and it burns, and he tries to get it off. And so, after a long trial, Eustace meets Aslan, the great lion, uh, and Aslan meets him at a pool, uh, and says, and, and and what he tells Eustace is, is you have to, you have to be washed, you have to be cleansed in the pool. And so what Eustace tries to do is he tries to take his big, uh, big nasty dragon claw and begin peeling the scales off. And he does. Right? Much like a snake loses its skin, right? he, he gets a layer of skin off and he begins to go down to the pool and realizes that he's still got skin. He's still got, he's still got dragon skin. It's newer, but it's still there. He's still got another layer on. And so he tries it again. Tries to claw the skin off of himself, but it's still there. And after several repeated attempts, Aslan looks at him and says, You have to let me wash you. You have to let me do it. And it says that that Aslan takes his big lion paw, and he takes his claw, and it pierces deep, and it hurts like fire. But as he begins to peel it off, he feels the freedom of all of that dragon skin being peeled away and falling off. And as he, as he is bathed, as he is washed, Eustace becomes a boy again. You have to let me wash you. Jesus is telling Peter, you have to let me wash you or you can't be a part of me. So like we said, Peter rushes to the other extreme. And he says, okay, well then wash not just my feet, wash my hands, wash my head. I definitely want to be a part of this. And Jesus says something else interesting. He says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. What does Jesus mean by that? Uh, There's some debate uh, but let's try to understand the custom first. If I'm going to come to your house, if I come to your house for dinner and it's time to eat, and the first thing that I say, is instead of saying, hey, can, uh, can I let me go wash my hands. If I said to you instead, hey, let me go take a shower. You mind if I go take a shower at your house? Right? That's a little weird. It's not a little weird. It's a lot weird. That's, that would be very socially awkward for me to come to your house and take another bath. Right? Why? Because well, be awkward for lots of reasons. But I bathed before I came over. But so all I need to do is wash my hands. In the same way, in Jesus' day, right? You would bathe before you went to a feast, before you went to a banquet. You wouldn't ex- you wouldn't go there expecting another bath. But because you'd walked there, you would need your feet washed again. And so what Jesus is saying is, once I've washed you, you don't have to be rewashed. It's a once-for-all cleansing. You don't need another one. So what does he mean by, his feet need only to be cleansed? What most commentators, what most scholars believe is what Jesus is saying is, there's a once-for-all washing, and then, just as we make our way through we still have indwelling sin. And so we don't need to have Jesus re We don't have to be justified again. But we do go back and we, we, we do keep going back to repent and confess our sin. We keep going back to the water uh, to have our feet washed. So we don't need a whole body cleansing. Uh, we just need the regular. So uh, Jesus is pointing to life with him. Um, but all of that to say the true Son of God washes feet to show by what kind of humiliation We come into the kingdom. And so for Jesus, the way down is the way back up. He has to stoop low before he can be exalted. And then he shows us that that's true not just for him, but for everybody who follows him. We are to be the people who stoop to serve. Not only does Jesus go low in order to be raised up, but he's giving us an example too. Look at verse 12. When he washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you were right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Does Jesus mean that we're supposed to emulate his sacrif- sacrificial death, so I need to be Tammy's Messiah, she needs to be mine, we're going to die for each other on the cross? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. We can't do that. Does Jesus mean that we should literally wash one another's feet as a regular part of our worship service or church life together? I don't, there, are some, there are some denominations who practice that, uh, and yet Jesus doesn't seem to be giving that exact command, and it doesn't come up again in the New Testament. What Jesus is pointing to is himself as the servant king. He's saying, I am your Lord and I am your Master. You've called me that and you're right. I am. I'm your Lord and your Master. So if I have stooped down to wash your feet, then you also ought to stoop down in the same way for each other. That the character of our life together is one of service. That means there's nothing that Jesus can't ask of you. If the Lord of creation has stooped so low there's nothing he can't ask of those who follow him. There, it, listen, in the church, there ought to be no sense in which we ever say, mm, that job's beneath me. Ah, no, I'm, I'm really too important to do that. That's not, that's not my gift. That doesn't happen. That ought not happen in the church. In the church, what we ought to be looking for is not ways to outmaneuver each other or one-up each other, In the church, what we should be looking for is ways to serve one another. How do I get under? How do I go low? How can I wash your feet? Maybe not in the literal sense, but certainly in the figurative sense. We are a people who stoop, who go low, just like Jesus goes low. I don't know if you're familiar with... uh, India, the country of India, um, they have what's called a caste system. It's a lot more fluid probably than it used to be. But what the caste system is, is it says basically you are born at this station. You're born because of the family lineage. You are born into this station, and these are the opportunities open to you. Uh, And so if you're not part of this caste, if you're part of a lower caste, you can't do that job. And so they go from the high on down to the low to the very At the very bottom are people called Dalits who are considered untouchable, and they have no rights whatsoever. And we all say, man, that sounds really awful. I can't believe that such an unjust system exists. Welcome to human nature, right? We we love a caste system. We love to set up these informal, this, this stratified society where we say, well, I'm important, so I need to do this, but you're not important, so you should do that. And what Jesus does for his church is he takes that caste system and he turns it on its head. Because nobody could be any higher on the totem pole than Jesus. Nobody could get any higher than Jesus. And in Philippians 2, Paul traces this downward trek where Jesus leaves heaven and comes all the way down, makes himself a servant, and even gives himself over to death. And so Jesus takes this natural tendency of ours to kind of make a caste system where we put ourselves in position, where we say, well, I'm the pastor, so I'm not going to do that. Somebody else less important than me needs to do that. And Jesus says, not here. Not in my house. Because in my house, I'm I'm the servant king. And in my house, I stoop down to wash feet. And I give my own life. So you know what? That's true for all of you. Outdo one another in service. No matter how great our position, whether we're called president, owner, manager, elder, pastor, if we follow Jesus, if we say we follow Jesus, then we must really follow Jesus. If the way up for Jesus was the first to go down, then we can't be expected to have any different track. The way... Down is also the way up for us. I want to finish with this. There's this last section that talks about Judas. Jesus says, Not all of you are clean. In verse 11. And then in verse 18, verse 17, he says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus says, one among you is not clean. One among you, even though he, his feet have been washed, doesn't really receive the true cleansing. And we know that to be Judas. Jesus washes Judas's feet. How? How much more loving and patient can you get? Knowing full well what Judas was going to do, Jesus cleans his feet. That's the kind of love Jesus shows. That's the kind of service we're called to show, that we can even wash the feet of our enemies. We can even stoop to serve our betrayers. Jesus washes Judas's feet, but Judas is not clean. He has no part. He has no share in Jesus' inheritance. So don't be like Judas. Don't reject the love of Jesus that stoops to save. As the hymn says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Come to the fountain. Come to the God who stoops. Come to the God who stoops so low that he will spill his blood to save you and be washed in that cleansing flow. Have all your guilty stains removed forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this picture of humility. God, we would be prone to give a hearty amen to that humility, and yet we would not really want to do it ourselves. And so would you work in us that, that heart? Would you work in us the desire to outdo one another in serving? Even to spend... How remarkable, Lord, that you spent your last hours knowing full well what you knew and being in complete control of every detail that was unfolding and leading you to your death, you chose to wash feet. May we be so humble. And may we really believe in the washing that stands behind the foot washing. May we plunge ourselves beneath the cleansing blood. May we believe in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.